0: All right, so we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week we started, and it's time for pop quiz. Do you guys remember what we talked about last week? What is that? 1 Corinthians 1. Yeah, <laughs> correct. <laughs> correct, that's a, that's a smart way out. Perfect. Spirit. Exactly, we were talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, because honestly, uh, deep down, this in my heart, I know this is what we need. We need a church that is full of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's go back to First Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read a few verses. Uh, this is my wife's Bible, so it's a little bit strange to me. But we'll figure it out. First Corinthians 12. We're going to read a few verses. Uh, pretty much the same verses we read last week. We're going to read from um, verse... Uh, let me see here, understand. Okay, verse uh, four, we're going to read from verse four. "Now there are variety of gifts, but the same spirit, there are variety of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the coming good. I'm reading from the ESV just an FYI. Uh, For each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the coming good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. Uh, To another, the ability to distinguish between spirit, the discernment of spirit. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who uh, uh, apportions to each one individually as he wills. Amen? All right, so we'll take a few minutes and we'll recap about what we did last week, what we talked about. And then we're going to move forward this week with, um, we'll see how far we go. But last week we started from verse 4 and we stopped somewhere in verse 8. We haven't finished uh, verse, we did verse, uh, we stopped in verse 9. We haven't finished verse 9 yet. So what we talked about last week is this. Between verses 4, 5, and 6, we made a distinguish between the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, and we say that the Greek word for that is charisma. This is purely based on the grace of God. Verse 4, there is the services that the Lord Jesus gives, and we say that the Greek word for that is dekonia, which is, de- we, from, where, from, from that word we get the word deacon, which is servant. And then verse 6, there is the actions that God the Father gives, and we say that the Greek word here is Energama, which is from what, from what we, get, we get the word energy, which is actions or something that we do that requires effort. Amen? And we, may, we say that these three are not exactly the same. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's not the services that the Lord Jesus provides. It is not the actions, the powers that God the Father gave. Amen? And then we spoke also about rules, how these gifts need to be manifested. And we highlighted six rules. We say that the gifts are for every believer. That's in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter, verse 7. It says that to each one of us was given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And we emphasize again that each one of us has to function in some sort of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Number two, we say that the gifts are meant for the edification of the church. So it's for each one of us, but the purpose of it is to build the church. Amen? That's also 1 Corinthians 12, 7. The rule number three, the gifts are to be practiced in love. And that's the whole point of First Corinthians chapter 13. And then rule number five, the gifts of the Spirit are to be sought after. We have to seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God will give it to us as a gift, but we have to ask him for it. Amen? And then number six, the gifts are to be practiced in order. And we read about that in First Corinthians chapter 14. All right? And then last week, we highlighted only three of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to name them real quick, and then we'll move forward this week. We spoke about the words of wisdom, right? That was last week. And we said that words of wisdom is what? Supernatural wisdom that God provides for his children. It's not a common wisdom. It's not a common sense. It's a supernatural wisdom that God gives to his people. Amen? What was the example that we used last week? Anybody remembers? It was Joseph in the Old Testament when God gave him wisdom to deal with the famine that even Pharaoh and his cabinet back then, they were shocked at that wisdom and said, this man has the spirit of God. This is impossible that this can be humanly made, that somebody can come up with that solution. Amen? We talked also about words of knowledge, and we said that words of knowledge is when God revealed the secrets of people's hearts to us, like when God revealed a secret to you. We used a couple of examples. Anybody remember any one of them? Acts chapter 5, Ananias Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their uh, house, they hid part of the uh, proceeds, and Peter knew that they are lying. Because God revealed that to him through a word of knowledge. Amen? We also use the example of Elijah, Elisha, the prophet in the Old Testament, when God was revealing to him the secrets that the king of Syria, or the king of Aram, was discussing with, her, uh, with his army leaders. Amen? So that was the word of knowledge. And then gift of faith. We discussed that as well last week. What did we say about the gift of faith? We said that faith is not is the only thing that is a gift and a fruit of the Holy Spirit right? But they're not the same. Faith as a gift of the Holy Spirit, it is not the same as faith as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Also, one more thing I've think- been thinking about this week. Salvation by faith, and the Bible says that this is a gift of God, but faith that leads to salvation is not neither that gift of faith that Paul was talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12, all right? We were saying that the gift of faith, what is that? This is when you know that you know that you know. God speaks to your heart very clearly that a miracle is about to happen, that something supernatural is about to happen. Amen? What was the example that we used last week? We read that scripture from uh, Luke 17:6 when Jesus said, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, this is the gift of faith, you can say to the mulberry or even the mountain, some other places, Jesus said a mountain, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. This is the gift of faith, a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So that was last week. Today, let's keep going on with the same gifts and let's just see how far we go. Let's talk about the other gifts after that, the gifts of healing and the gift of miracle. Okay? Now, these two gifts, kind of very similar to each other in the principles and how they work. So some of the principles that are going to be applied to the gifts of healing pretty much apply to the gift of miracles. But they are slightly different, okay? So let's start with the gift of feelings, but just keep that in mind. Same principle, probably going to apply for both. Now, there is a lot to be said about healing, amen? But we believe that healing still happen. Anybody disagree? Yeah. No. Healing still happens. Jesus is still our healer in as much as he's our savior and he is our sanctifier and he is our coming king. Amen? So what I'm going to talk to you about today is not how to receive healing. I want to talk about how to administer healing. Okay? So we're not talking about how I can be healed from God. It's more like how can I minister healing to other people? So I'm going to highlight a few principles here about what does the Bible say about praying for the sick? Okay, and then we'll link that to the gift of healing in a minute. So I'm going to highlight a few highlights here, a few principles about how you pray for the sick so they can be healed. Number one principle is that healing is already provided for in the atonement when Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just pay for our sins so we can be forgiven. He also prayed for healing and deliverance from every sickness and every disease. Where do you find that in the Bible? Example, one example. Matthew eight sixteen to 17. This is what the Bible says. okay? That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all those who were sick. Now, listen to what Matthew said in his comment on that. He said, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our sicknesses and bore our diseases. This is a quote from Isaiah 53 verse 4. So what Matthew was saying here, when he saw that everybody was getting healed, he's saying, it kind of clicked with him. These people are being healed because Jesus is going to take their sicknesses and their diseases on, the, on his flesh, on the cross, so they can be healed. Jesus paid for our healing on the cross. Amen? So when you go out and try to pray for the sick so they can be healed, know that this is provided already for, through the blood of Jesus, that was shed on the cross. Amen? That's principle number one about how to pray for the sick. Principle number two. Now listen to this. Every believer, listen to this. Every believer can pray for the sick, and they should be healed. Amen? Let me repeat that again. Every believer should pray for the sick, and they should be healed. Where do I get this from? Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. John 14. Let's read what Jesus, one of his promises to us. John 14, and we're going to read verses 12 to 14. Here is what Jesus said, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you. So he's like emphasizing that what he's going to say right now is absolute truth. There's no question about it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to my father. Now, Jesus, we just read about him in hallelujah time. He was a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was God incarnate too. And Jesus moved pretty much in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All the supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit was in his life. He had words of knowledge about people's hearts. He had definitely had words of wisdom. We know he prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem. He prophesied about Peter denying him. He has so many prophecies. But what is the one mark that really set the ministry of Jesus apart in terms of the gifts? It's healings and miracles. These are the most prominent things that Jesus was doing, right? He healed so many sick people, and he performed so many unbelievable miracles. Yet, yet, Jesus says here in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and even greater works because I am going to my Father. Now, how many people, according to that promise of Jesus, should be able to move in the gifts or move in the signs and wonders that Jesus himself moved in? How many people? He said, whoever believes. Now, the same Jesus, the same book, just a few chapters earlier, said in John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that whoever and the, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever what, believe in Him should not perish but have an everlasting life." How many of us have a problem with that? I don't. How many of us know for sure that you have eternal life because you believed in Jesus? I do. I know I have eternal life because he promised it. And because he said it, I trust it and I'm going to act on it. I don't have to worry about my eternal life. Amen? Now, the same Jesus, the same book, a few chapters later said, whoever believes in me will do the exact same works and even greater. But we don't see that in our midst. Right? We barely see healing. We barely see miracles. Why? I don't see a reason for it. Our life needs to change to match what God has promised that our life should look like. Amen? If he said that because we believe in him, we are blood-washed believers, and because of that, we have every single right that we can move in the signs and wonders and the power of God, then we have to trust his promise and we have to act on it. Amen? Now, why is Jesus saying that? Why is he saying, you're going to do even greater works? The very end of last verse, he said, because I am going to the Father. What was Jesus saying here is this. He's saying, I am physically present with you today. And because I am physically present with you, I am rebuking sicknesses and diseases and commanding the seed to be calm and I'm doing all these signs and wonders. But once I'm gone, once I'm gonna be with the Father, you're gonna be my ambassadors. You're gonna be my representative and you're gonna walk in my authority. Amen? Okay, President Obama is the President of the United States, right? Now, because President Obama cannot be in every single country in the same time, guess what he does? He sends ambassadors. So we have the American ambassador in England. For example, this guy pretty much had the authority of the president of the United States. The only difference is where he functioned with that authority is in that country of England, right? We are the same way. We are ambassadors of Christ, Paul said. Amen? We, Jesus said, you'll do greater works because I'm not going to be physically present, but you're going to be physically present. And because you have my name, you should also have my authority. And therefore, if I have been doing sick, healing sicknesses and disease, if I have been forming miracles, you also should do that. Amen? Amen. And guess what? Jesus knew that we're not going to believe that. And we're going to just brush it away. And we're not going to act on it. That's why, let's read verse 13. He said that in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. What did he say again? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Well, God, what if we ask that sicknesses will be healed? Will you answer us? He said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Amen? Lord, what if if we ask for the blind to see? Will you do it for us? What will be his answer? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Lord, what if we ask for the deaf to hear, for the mute to speak, for the limb to walk, for the dead to be raised? Would you do it? Was his answer? Whatever you ask... In my name, this I will do. And then he introduced the frame, how, we, how that promise should work. And then he said that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So this is not just a blank check. You just can go around, you know, name a Mercedes Benz and nicest house in Fairfax County. Hey, I'm asking in Jesus' name, he'll do it. Nope. Everything should be done so that the Father should be glorified in the Son. This is the framework where that promise works. Amen? Yet again, Jesus knew that we're not going to believe him, and we're still going to brush his promise off. So that's why he said verse 14. It's pretty much the same thing like verse 13. There's no point of having verse 14 as as far as I'm concerned. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it again. Over and over and over again. Because he knows that if he said it once, we're probably not going to believe it. And now he said it three times, and guess what? We still don't act on it. Anyone who is a servant of Christ, who is blood washed by the blood of Jesus, we have the authority. You see, the name of Jesus is so powerful. It's not about you and me. It's not about what we can do. It's about the power that is in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And in his name, every sickness and every disease should bow. Every every death, every oppression of the enemy should flee because the name of Jesus is so powerful and that's all what we have. Amen? You might ask, well, if that's the case, then how come we don't see everybody get healed? Or how come we don't see people getting healed? If everybody can pray for the sick and they should be healed. Well, let me answer your question with a question. When was the last time you laid hand on the sick and commanded them to be healed? Oh, I, I didn't know I have to do that. Well, one, one person said one time, do you know how to spell faith? F-A-I-T-H, do you know how to spell it? It's R-I-S-K, risk. He said it, I believe it, I'm going to act on it. This is faith. Amen? Amen? I'll tell you about myself. I have been saved when I was 12. I'm whatever, 37 now. And since I will say that I'm very entreated by the Holy Spirit. I am very entreated by the Holy Spirit. One of the main reasons I came to this country is because I grew up in, a com- in, in my church. We don't believe much in the power of God. And I thought, man, I, when the Lord started bringing my family to the States, I was static. I was like, oh, I hear about all these things that is happening and the power of God is moving. I can't wait to go to the States so I can be where the Holy Spirit is moving. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> Fifteen years later. Um, and, you know, I have prayed for the sick for so long. I, only one person that I can recall when I was in Brazil that actually got healed. That's the only thing. And, but on the flip side of that, I prayed for so many sick people and they haven't got healed. But guess what? Guess what? That doesn't mean I should stop praying for the sick. That doesn't mean that Jesus' promise is not true. All what it means is this. My life experience needs to change to match what Jesus is expecting my life experience to be. Amen? God's promise is solid and my experience is not. So my experience needs to change. I need to see people getting healed just because he promised that they will. Amen? I don't have the answers, but I know that I will keep trying to pray for the sick as much as I possibly can. And every time I get disappointed, I'll take this word back to him and say, you said it. Why it's not happening? And I have to keep pushing through so that I see that promise being fulfilled. Amen? But The fact that I'm doing it, I'm trying to encourage you guys to do it too. Well, how many people, Jesus said, can pray for the sick and they be healed? Whoever believe, whoever believe, whoever believe, that means you and me. Amen? So, um, we're still talking about principle number two when it comes to healing. Principle number one is that healing is paid for in that atonement. Principle number two, all blood-washed believers can pray for the sick and they can be healed. Let me show you a couple more examples so you know that I'm not just making that up. The Bible says two or three witnesses establish every word. So let me show you two or three scriptures, okay? Let me go back to the Gospel of Mark and we're going to read from the very last chapter. All right, Mark 16. And we're going to read verses uh, 17 to 18. This is what the Bible says Mark 16, 17 and 18. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. This is what Jesus said. They will cast out demons. Now, these signs shall follow how many? all those who believe. Those who believe in my name should have these signs to follow them. It doesn't matter. This is not for the elite. This is for everybody, okay? These signs shall follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hand on the sick and they will recover. Now, Mark, the very last chapter, 16, verse 9 to verse 19, are a very questionable passage in the Bible. There are so many textual problems with it. And I honestly don't think that this passage actually belongs to the original Greek. I think it was added later on, the whole passage. It's a different story for a different day. However, even though that was not, in my opinion, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it still gives us a pretty solid idea of what the early disciples in the first or second century thought about Christianity and how a disciple of Christ should function, okay? And it tells us here that the early disciples in the first or the second century, they they knew that if you believe in Jesus, if you are a believer in the Son of God, if your sins have been forgiven, you ought to pray for the sick and they ought to be healed, Amen? Man, let me give you another example, and that will be my last evidence. Let's turn to the book of James, and we're going to read from the last chapter. James 5, we're going to read verses 14 to 16. James 5, 14 to 16. This is what James said, Okay. Is anyone among you sick? Okay, what should we do? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed a sin, it will be forgiven to him. So James is saying, if anybody's sick in the congregation, bring the elders or have the elders go, anoint him with oil, pray with him, and then he will be healed, all right? Now, how many of you know that being an elder is not a gift from God or a gift from the Holy Spirit? you agree with me? We read about all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Every time Paul talks about it, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, or even here in 1 Corinthians 12, being an elder is not a gift, it's an important function in the church so, you can, so the church can go about its daily activities. But really, all what it takes to be an elder is just to meet certain moral requirements. You know? And if, you, if, you require, if you're meeting this requirement according to the scripture, you qualify to be an elder. Amen? So in a way, being an elder here, what James is saying is these are the representatives of the local body. But these are not people who are just called by God specifically so they can administer healing to the sick. Yet James said that these representatives should go pray for the sick, and the sick will be healed. Amen? I don't believe it. I don't think it's still for everybody. Well, let's read the last two more verses about what James said here. So in verse, um, let me see. Um, Let's keep reading. And the prayer of faith, well, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now, he's just saying, you as a congregation, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that, they, that you may be healed. He's saying... You and your body at the church, as long as you're a believer of Jesus, as long as your sins have been forgiven, you just can sit down, you confess your sins to one another, and if one of you guys are sick, the other can pray for him, and guess what's going to happen? He will be healed. This is just the average congregation in the church. This is not the pastor, or the minister, or the apostle. This is just everybody in the church can pray for the sick, and they will be healed. Amen? And then he said, why? He said this... um, The power, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its work, and this is the reason why. When we pray and seek God asking for healing, God will answer and come through. Amen? So, so far we have two principles about how to administer healing. Principle number one, it is provided for in the atonement of Christ. Principle number two, everybody can pray for the sick and they can be healed. And when I say everybody, I mean you and me. I mean what God wants from us is that Soon we can see people getting healed. Amen? That's principle number two, principle number three, and that's what we read here in 1 Corinthians 12: that there are some people that the Lord has gifted with the gifts of healing. Okay? So, a pause, one second. This is the only gift of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says it's say it in a plural way, like gifts, not just one gift, it's gifts of healings, okay? Every other gift is in a single format, okay, like gift of prophecy, gift of tongues, or gift, except the gift of tongues. It's one gift, but it's multiple tongues, different kind of tongues. But this gift right here, gifts of healing, is the only one that is plural in both words, gifts and healing. Why is that? I think it's the reason why these both words are are plural, because God is going to say, I have plenty of it that I want to give it to as many people as possible. Amen. God is saying, my storehouse is overstocked with gifts of healing that I just want to give it away. But is there any taker? Amen? So it's gifts of healing. That's number one. That's point number three. Point number four. The Bible said that there are some people who are called to function specifically in the gift of healing. Paul said, do all perform miracles? Do all pray for the sake? The answer is no. Because... There are some people who are gifted by the Holy Spirit, that the the Holy Spirit gave them that gift. We just was reading, to another gifts of healing. So some has that as a gift from God. Amen? What does that mean? That means, I think it means that they function in healing just more frequent and more prominent than any average Christian. It is not that the average Christian cannot pray for the sick. It's that they are just more prominent in it. Amen? Now, I was reading a book about the gifts of healings or uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the guy who wrote that book was saying that um, these people who are gifted for healing and miracles are the evangelists and the missionaries, people who actually take the gospel to the lost. I think his reasoning for it was weak, but I think his point was very valid. We, We were reading a few weeks ago about the book of Acts and how Um, every single church in the book of Acts was planted through the power of signs and wonders. Remember that? And we went through every single church, and every time the power of God shows up in miracles and signs and wonders, and then the church is planting, or people are getting saved. And it makes sense that God will gift those who are very evangelistic with signs and wonders, with miracles, with healing, so that they can promote the gospel. Amen? I don't have a Bible for that. It's just my opinion. It doesn't have to be true. Amen? So this is the gifts of healing. And we talked about four principles in that gift so far. Number one, let's see if you remember what I said. <laughs> it was paid for on the cross. Number two, every believer can pray for the sick and they can be healed. Number three, it's gifts, is plural. So God has plenty of it. Number four, there are some people who are gifted to see healings more frequent than others. It doesn't mean that there is shouldn't, but it's just they are specifically gifted by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay, we got to move a little bit more. So let's try to touch on miracles, okay? Let's see. Maybe I can take a couple of minutes on a couple of more gifts. Miracles. Miracles pretty much the same principle as far as healing when how it functions. The only difference is healing deals more with sicknesses and diseases. Miracles on the other side deals with nature, okay? Like we have many examples for that. In the Old Testament, Moses, when Korah and his followers opposed him, he said, if I'm the man of God, let the earth open up and swallow them. Guess what happened? They got swallowed. Later on, Joshua fighting in Gibeon, and he said that the army, his army needed more time, so he commanded the sun and the moon to stand still. And guess what happened? It happened. Jesus came. He did so many miracles. I'm going to show you two quick examples um, Well, yeah, it's going to take time, but let's do it. We're going to show you two quick examples how the gift of miracles actually can edify the church and can lead to the salvation of the lost. Okay? So two quick examples here. The first example that the gift of miracles can actually edify the body of the church is the same example we're about in in Acts chapter 5. We talked about that last week. when. Peter knew that Ananias and Sapphira hid part of the proceeds. He called them out on it. They both dropped dead. They they both buried. And the Bible says that the whole church was feared. The fear of God fell on the church and the church was edified, okay? So that miracle helped edifying the body of Christ. Amen? The example number two, it's in um, Acts 13, 4 to 12. I'm going to make it very short so we can save some time. So Acts 13, uh, 4 to 12, the Bible said that this is the first time we read about Paul doing any miracle or even being in the public ministry, okay? And Paul went, he was talking to one of the rulers, um, his name was Apollos, Sergius, and then there was a sorcerer, uh, a Jewish magician guy who was opposing Paul, every time he tried to speak, he doesn't want the governor to believe. So he's trying to distract the governor. He's trying to manipulate the words of Paul. Acts 13, 4 to 12, okay? So Paul, the Bible says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, you son of the devil who tried to pervert, pervert the word of God, I am commanding you to be blind right now. And all of a sudden, this guy got blind for a while. And the Bible said that when the ruler saw that the, guy, the, the sorcerer got blind, he believed. Amen? So miracles here lead to salvation. Amen? So the gift of miracles can edify the church. The gift of miracles also can lead to the salvation of the lost. Amen? I'll take one more gift, so in this way, hopefully we'll wrap up next week. All right, so we talked about healing. We talked about miracle. Let's just talk about prophecy. Now, prophecy, simple. We know all what is prophecy. Prophecy is to tell a future event. something going to happen in the future, okay? Now, remember, all these gifts of the Holy Spirit are supernatural manifestations, okay? If it's natural, it is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen? If you can perceive that, if you can understand it with your own mind or expect it with your own brains and intelligence is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy, when you speak something into the future, you know going to happen or you speak an event into the future and it come to pass. Amen? We have so many examples in the Bible. Just in the Old Testament, Micah prophesied where Jesus will be born. Jesus prophesied of the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, just one more example, Acts 21 11, we read about a prophet in the Bible in the New Testament. His name was Agapus. He went to Paul and the disciples when Paul was about to go to Jerusalem. And then Agapos got like a belt and he tied himself and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. The person who's built is this, he's going to be bound in Jerusalem. And that was Paul. And he ended up being bound in Jerusalem. So that is prophecy. You speak the events that is going to happen in the future. Amen? Amen? Okay. Now, I have been, since I went to Regent, I've been around Pentecostal slash charismatic churches for God knows how long now. And it's funny to me. A lot of people say, oh, I'm a prophet. Okay, prophet, what do you have for me? And he said, the Lord hears you when you pray. I'm like... Well, I know that, you know. Can the creator of heaven and earth, almighty God, be a little bit more specific than that, you know? (laughs) So these are good words of encouragement. I'm not dismissing them. I'm not saying these people mean bad. But these are words of exhortations. These are words of encouragement. But this is not the gift of prophecy. Amen? All right, let's uh, stop now because we're running out of time and then we'll continue next week. Let's just pause for a second, and we'll spend a few minutes here to pray. Um, The reason why we're talking about all of this, the reason for a few weeks now we have been talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Why do we do that? Why? Because as a church...